Straight Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture in the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are uh, on the planet today. It is my pleasure to host um, something that is so close to my heart, of course, uh, StraightTalk.Live. I'm missing my partner in crime today. He's uh, playing something called Pickleball. I actually don't know what it is, but he seems to be very good at it. And so Rick is off doing that. It's his passion. And so we wish him all the best. Um, I'm, of course, Af Malhotra, the uh, co-host of this wonderful not-for-profit show that we started a year ago. I'm thrilled to have a magnificent guest with me today, someone who's actually come back to the show after many weeks and months. And this time it's a solo conversation with this gentleman. So um, before I introduce him, I want to talk about the topic briefly. Now, many of you who are joining today are joining because uh, you care about uh, your privacy, you care about data, you care about security, you care about and, and are upset with the ransomware news out there. Maybe you've been hacked or breached in, in some way, shape or form. Today's conversation is going to have two parts. The first one is going to be about, about something called Section 230. You don't need to know what it is yet, and our guest will explain. And then we're going to create a, a clear bridge between Section 230 and cybersecurity at a uh, personal level, individual level, and also an enterprise level. And I'd like you to really think about this very carefully because our guest today will talk about solutions as much as he will talk about the future of communication. And the, and the, the future of communication will be underpinned by digital technologies and a vast amount of innovation, which we're all familiar with today because over the, over the pandemic period, we've transformed our behaviors, right? We are using digital a lot more. We're using messaging tools, collaboration tools, this stuff, this stuff that you're on today, these, these video-based tools. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce um, someone who I've known for a number of years and respect immensely, uh, a great leader, Anurag Lal, the CEO of Netsphere. And uh, Anurag has been in this game uh, in the telecoms, you know, IT technology game for a number of years. He um, built a number of companies, has taken companies to, to the stock market and IPO'd them. And in the latest stage of his career, he built a, a bunch of businesses and the one he's running right now, Netsphere, is about trying to fix and address this whole gap in the market um, around messaging. So we all uh, you know, frequently use tools like WhatsApp because it's kind of convenient. Uh, but over the years, we've started to realize the perils of using WhatsApp, especially at a business level, uh, the holes, the gaps, uh, the issues related to people leaving and joining groups and not knowing who's going to share what, when, where, how. Uh, we are oblivious to that at an individual level and at an enterprise level. So Anurag will touch on, on that too. So Anurag, welcome to the session today. Uh, I'm delighted to have you uh, on, on the um, STL show. 
Tell us a little bit about, briefly, about you and your background. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to start with what you did with the Obama administration, because that will probably raise a few eyebrows, and then go into a little bit of your background, and let's crack on with this and go into the, the depths of Section 230. Great. Thanks, Af. It's good to be back on your show, and I'm, I'm really excited and glad to see the progression Straight Talk has taken over the past year since you guys launched it. Uh, I've uh, attended it and uh, watched from afar, and you guys have grown and matured, so congratulations on that. Um, like I said, good to be back. My background, I think you explained it well. I've been in technology for a number of years now. Um, all aspects of technology from telecom to software to SaaS to cloud-based services. And as a result, I've had an opportunity to work with tremendous people in creating products and services that essentially have impacted both consumer and, and enterprise behavior. Yeah. Uh, here, here at NetSphere, we are uh, we are really innovating in a manner that's unprecedented, uh, in specifically in the messaging space. Yeah. Um, the ecosystem we enable is, is a close to 400 million uh, subscribers across the globe uh, who are messaging each other, leveraging trillions of transactions uh, on a weekly, daily, and uh, monthly basis. So it's really an exciting time to be in the messaging uh, environment because of where we are, both post-pandemic and pre-pandemic. And, uh, and you mentioned uh, the Obama administration. Along the way, I was invited to come on board with the National Broadband Task Force, which President Obama specifically put forth to ensure that the United States was competitive when it came for broadband availability to its citizens. Right. Uh, President Obama felt very strongly that broadband was directly linked to the ability of our country to be competitive. And he felt that it was almost a, um, a fundamental right, access to broadband technology. So I was part of that team and was privileged and honored to be there and contribute to what was then known as the very first national broadband plan that looked at all aspects, both policy and uh, uh, the ability to execute and deliver all aspects of broadband, whether that be satellite, wired, wireless, wireless, or what have you. Mm. So again, that was my stint with the Obama administration. Uh, it was, like I said, a great honor and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Got it. And so um, you then, uh, you've been involved in, 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 the, in the startup space. You've been building companies for a number of years. Um, you could have, and I know you had a very successful exit with a company many years ago. You could have stopped, right? You could have packed your bags and I don't know, done something else. Uh, what compelled you? What was bothering you? Why did you keep this going? And why did you build this company of yours, Netsphere? Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the motivations of an entrepreneur. Sure. So again, from my perspective, I've always been very, very passionate about technology. And technology excites me, especially when technology positioned to help uh, and do a greater good than technology alone. And so that has really been the hallmark of how I've approached uh, you know, opportunities across my professional career. And then when I had an chance to really step back and see what else we could do, uh, I saw, you know, the whole ecosystem around mobile and mm. mobile applications kind of start evolving at a rate that was unprecedented. And then there were certain applications that kind of bubbled to the top and messaging and social were up there. And there was a lot of goodness there but there was also a lot of challenge that existed that people didn't necessarily realize. 
And we felt by building this platform that we refer to as NetSphere, which is an extremely secure end-to-end -end encrypted platform, mm. specifically tailored to the enterprise, we could help solve a real problem that existed within the enterprise. We were obviously early to the market. I think we were seeing ahead of others. Now this problem where mobile messaging has encroached into the enterprise has become a real problem, a problem that has kind of undermined the security and uh, viability of certain enterprise organizations. And we see so many examples for that. And so that's where NetSphere fits in really well. It gives you the means to leverage mobile messaging in an extremely secure, controllable, and manageable way within the enterprise. So you get the advantage of that technology, you get the benefits of that te technology, but you're not compromising your enterprise as a result. And of course, that's um, so important because billions and billions, tens if not hundreds of billions, have been and will be lost at an enterprise level because ran of ransomware, hacks, breaches, errors made at a human level, which we actually, frankly, don't really think about. And I think over the last 16 months, the mass radical forced uh, move to digital because of COVID and the pandemic has meant that what I guess what you're doing is even more important and prominent. In fact, I, I'll, I'll share a, a, an example which was um, shocking, eye-watering for us really, which was just yesterday, if you saw my LinkedIn, I posted something from the UK government where there has been all sorts of talks. I won't go into who said what, but on the BBC News, there was a section around um, uh, alluding to the fact that the Prime Minister and one of his previous uh, in the UK, previous advisors were communicating on WhatsApp. Uh, and I, we don't have any problems with WhatsApp. Of course, it's a great consumer tool, uh, but um, it, it shocks me. I mean, it's uh, what on earth are people thinking when they're using such tools in highly secure, uh, for highly secure communication purposes, sensitive, confidential purposes. So, of course, that's not an isolated example, is it, really? It's, uh, it's prevalent across the industry and we are almost ignorant to it to some extent. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park you there on this piece because I want to bring that back later. Sure. I'd like to draw your attention to the first piece uh, of this conversation, which uh, has a link around cyber, of course, and we'll come to that. We talked about the imminent uprising, and that's a very emotive statement and title for the session today. And actually, it's uh, it stemmed from our briefing call that we had with you, where you felt so um, you were speaking so passionately about and felt so um, almost um, you know clear about what you believe should happen next, with or without a solution like Netsphere. So we'll park that for a second. Tell us a little bit about why you think an imminent uprising of sorts is on its way. Um, unpack that for us with the, with the backdrop of something called Section 230. So over to you, Anurag. Right, thanks for that. So let, before I, I, I talk about the imminent uprising, and I think that's a great way of actually terming it, uh, yeah. let's talk about Section 230 for one second. And uh, for those of you who don't understand what that is, it's really, uh, Section 230 is a, a, a mechanism within the American Communications Decency Act, which was passed in 1996, that provides a level of protection to carriers of information on the internet. And it assures that that protection uh, assures them a level of uh, liability protection, if you may. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows them to continue to grow and innovate uh, so that people are not bogged down by frivolous um, you know, uh, lawsuits, etc. And the genesis of that was in the early days of the internet, and I'm talking 1996 when this act was put in place, extremely well-intentioned. The internet, as we all know, is a huge platform that drives innovation. Clearly, we don't want to bog it down with uh, frivolous litigation, which could potentially happen and happen, which actually drove Section 230 to come into being. But that those protections uh, were then used as a means for the internet to be where it is today. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that Section 230 did an amazing job of protecting folks uh, and allowing them to do what they do best uh, without being bothered by you know, litigation that was frivolous and useless, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, th- and those kind of platforms I'm talking about consist everything, including search engines, social media, uh, e-commerce company, essentially any comment or information posted on these f- platforms, you are allowed to be protected from litigation because right. you are not publishing that information. And that's key, publishing that information. So that was done in 1996, the internet grew. It's, it's been responsible for innovation like we've never seen in the history of mankind, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it did its job. But now, as the internet has grown to the level it is today, and so let me give you context there. Um, in 1996, Facebook didn't exist. Neither did Google. Google came in 98. Neither did Twitter. Neither did some of the other social media platforms, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon was there very early stage, just selling books, right? Today, those same companies are responsible for billions of interactions, if not trillions of interactions on a monthly or daily basis, right? They are controlling user base that is just goes into multiple billions. So they have transcended borders and they have gone out and established this trusted position in the realm of their user base. Now, these same platforms, whether that be Facebook or others, are also sharing information. And that information gets propagated and actually has a huge amount of influence in the way it is received by end users. Mm -hmm. It drives change that we've never seen before. We all saw what happened in 2016 here in the United States during that general election cycle and how Facebook was leveraged as a means to drive election behavior. We've seen many such examples of different instances across the globe of lynchings and other instances driven by information put on Facebook. Mm. So then the question is asked, if all this information is being propagated and the internet has democratized news and these platforms are propagating this news, who is responsible to ensuring that this information is accurate, well-intentioned and meets the purpose? Right. Of, of, of the, the population at large. And I'm talking the global population because these companies are global. They're not linked to a geography anymore, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, 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 the argument and discussion here is, should these companies continue to enjoy, continue to enjoy the protections that Article 270, I mean, 230 uh, provide 
while taking absolutely no responsibility over their actions. Now, well, I mean, of course, sorry to interrupt, but the, the, the natural response to that for anyone listening today is absolutely not. Um, for all of the reasons that you've stated and many, many more, um, especially the downside, the perils of having disinformation, misinformation, the wrong information um, through the alleged WhatsApp university uh, concept that we talk about or even through social media. So, sorry, going, hitting, throwing the ball back at you. Absolutely not. So what do we do? No, so absolutely not is, is, is easier said than done. Uh, right. Because these platforms now control so much, Right. And they insist that they are doing their best to police. But what people miss is when Facebook says or WhatsApp says that they're policing their platform, they're doing just enough to get by. Mm -hmm. At the same point of time, these very same companies who say that they don't publish information are leveraging algorithmic mechanisms to push the right narrative on their platforms that drives user engagement. So yeah, if, right. they see, if they see this tremendously uh, questionable piece of information, their algorithms actually push that even harder because it drives engagement, hmm. right? And what does that do for them? That generates advertising revenue because which is, that's their basic economic model, right? right? So I agree with you, absolutely not. And absolutely not needs to start with each one of us. We have to understand what we are doing when we are going on these platforms, we have to understand what privacy means to us in today's day and age. We have to understand what importance our personal data holds right. in the overall schemes of things. Mm -hmm. so, so, so what that means really is awareness starts at home. So each and every end user needs to understand what they're putting at risk. Mm. So let's go back to a couple of points. So privacy, um, protection for yourself and the family and for your enterprise, your business, and so on and so forth. And uh, aware, isn't awareness increasing? Is, aren't we, the fact that we're talking about it more and more, the fact that you have media, television documentaries like on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, and many, many others uh, on the BBC, and the article after article and after article about the antitrust uh, investigations and so on and so forth. Uh, so, what do you say to that? Is that, uh, is that enough? Is that a bit of a mirage? Uh, let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's just call a spade a spade. So what's your view? So I think that's a drop in the ocean. Right. The reason being is these are environments that you and I are aware of because we are in the business and we're in the business of information technology, right? But the minute you drop away from folks who are in the business and, are, and, and this is near and dear to this heart, it, this, the percentage of people who are oblivious of this is huge. And, and if you just parse the WhatsApp or Facebook or other user bases, you will find that the user base of these platforms, majority of them, are environments where there's absolute belief that these platforms are gossipal. Yeah, and yeah. everything on these platforms should be taken at face value. And so that's the danger mm. that we all are facing and we have to be aware of. Mm. So in other words, you're saying there's this massive dark cloud 
that of course we all seem to, not all, but many of us in the normal distribution, many of us are not aware of. In fact, what we are aware of is these random messages you get on the same platforms, including WhatsApp, where you say, I better change my privacy settings. Oh, I better change my Facebook settings and so on and so forth. Now, uh, we we get that. And um, I think the, the bigger question really is, are you saying we should stop using these platforms on the one end, on the one side? Stop, delete your accounts on Facebook, delete your WhatsApp account. Are we saying that, not you, but are we implying that? Or are we saying, use them really cautiously, stop putting up pictures of your uh, your baby, stop putting up uh, you know private information about stuff you wouldn't even share with your best friends, perhaps, or with a neighbor, but you're posting to publicly to millions of people, potentially, depending on your privacy setting preferences. What, what, what are we saying in, in, t in terms of this imminent uprising piece? Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you very clearly. Yeah. I am saying stop using it till we can get these platforms to take more responsibility on right. ensuring that they are adequately policing their platforms and managing the information that's gathered, right? And that goes back to section 230. The reason Section 230 has become such a lightning rod here in the United States is because there is a belief set that these larger companies who now have billions of users who weren't there in 1996 when this law was passed are now hiding behind this law and not taking responsibility over this information that is being posted on their sites. Yeah. They're doing just an adequate job uh, or a checkmark job of trying to police, and they're letting their platforms run rampant while they continue to profit from these platforms. And that's and who, key. And who's, so what, what's going on then? So is, are these antitrust, um, you know, displays that we keep seeing on, on media and watching, in fact, many of us watch it on Facebook, on the same platforms that the same founders are being, or CEOs are being questioned and chairmen are being questioned on. That's ironic anyway. Uh, do, do, is anything really happening or is this pretty much been brushed under the, the carpets and we're just sort of waiting for something to happen somewhere? You know, the good news is, at least here in the United States, on both sides of the aisle, both conservatives and, uh, you know, liberals and Democrats, everybody, yeah. They've all figured out that this is a real problem. Now, their extreme views of abolishing 230, and that means it opens up all these platforms to litigation, right? So they have to take responsibility, right? Yeah. Yeah. So all the other way, other extreme is, you know, don't do anything. Yeah. yeah. But I think people have to understand and appreciate and realize that Section 230 was put forth in 1996 before yeah. the internet became what it is today. Correct. Clearly, a lot of time has gone by. It has served its purpose. It's done a phenomenal job. It now needs to be updated where a level of responsibility has to be put on the platform owner. If they're profiting from it so much, right? To, that responsibility means that they have to police the information. That it, I'm not talking censor. I'm saying they have to police the information right. because it's a fine line there, guys. Mm -hmm. So you have to police the information and make sure that they are not propagating falsehoods. And, and, and that is what has to happen in order for this uprising to be contained and managed. Right. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, this is going to run rampant and it's going to be uncontrollable. And it'll continue to create issues like we saw in 2016 here in, 20, um, here in the United States. Yeah, yeah, of course. You're going to be an unpopular guy in Silicon Valley, I guess, if you're saying... No, but I, I, think, <laughs> I think there is a realization within Silicon Valley that 
platforms that are successful, that are profitable, right. need to take responsibility. I'm not saying open the kimono and, and go after them. I think that's just wrong, right? Mm. Because understand there's goodness created by these platforms too. They've created th- millions of jobs. They've added m- billions, if not trillions to the economy, right. right? Which helps everybody, right? So there's goodness there. But now we are getting to a point where one platform has become so powerful. Mm. And I'm not saying reign in the power. I'm just saying, let them take responsibility, mm. all right? That responsibility has to happen. Mm. I guess another dimension to this, of course, is a forward-looking dimension in terms of doubling down on the urgency to act upon us, i.e. the imminent uh, uprising, which is over over that period you talked about, 96 to now, not only have these companies got loads of users and generated billions and billions and billions of of revenue and profit, uh, they have also amassed billions and billions of... um, uh, petabytes perhaps of or more of data about you and me and us and that data of course is being utilized to drive engagement as you put it but also being shared with other partners and third-party developers or, or whoever they may be to build new companies and new products and new services so it feels like you know uh, pardon the word i'm using but my data has been prostituted um across wherever and i frankly don't even know where uh, and that that begs the question as to uh, and we're going to go into the future momentarily uh, do you see a world where let's imagine there is some sort of an uprising let's let's imagine there is big reform ground up top down bottom up both and these organizations are being held to account they are policing better they're forced to even if it costs them billions of dollars to do so otherwise they will see a a, a massive dip in users and engagement and all those things and i guess to some extent they may only they may only respond or change if they see a, a significant slowdown in adoption and engagement right otherwise why would they because nothing's broken. So I get the point of imminent uh, uprising. Do you see a world where we will own our data or we will have some right as a user to say, well, now you must stop. I, my data is mine. I'll decide what I give you and what I don't. In fact, I may even trade my data, a barter it for some crypto or whatever it may be. Do you see that world uh, as imminent as the uprising or just after the uprising? No, I, I think, you know, the way you started this uh, and you said that, hey, listen, we've shared this data on these platforms. Guess right. what? You did that with your free will. They took that data from you with that, and they, they, you gave it to them, right? And, and now it's become this huge pool of data on you specifically, which is when the problem starts to happen. And ultimately, data, your own personal data is going to be as important as your credit rating, as important as your ability to get a loan, it is going to have to belong to you. It will have to be protected. It will have to be managed in a manner that it's not being managed today. And, and that's where realization has to dawn amongst people, right? I speak to people all the time about, you know, the, the challenges of putting too much information on, on, let's say, Facebook again. And they say, well, we don't care because, you know, we get all these um, you know, push notifications, they send us all these products and services, and it helps our, you know, browsing experience, right? So there is certain goodness, they believe they're getting a service back. But then I change the analogy and say, well, how would you like if somebody with a set of binoculars was sitting outside your house, constantly looking into your house, and watching everything you're doing? Right. And they said, you know what, that's spooky, I wouldn't like that. But that's essentially what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to put those blinds down mm-hmm. and, and make sure that that person sitting outside is not peeping in constantly, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to start protecting yourself. So mm-hmm. you will be able to, in the very near future, and we've seen so many solutions that are coming to market today, which will allow you to put those blinds down mm-hmm. and manage what people see. Mm-hmm. The way you do it today, old school. Yeah, got it. Got it. We have a question. I know I said I would wait right till the end for the questions, but we are going to move, change track into the future of, of communication. And we're going to talk about cyber. Before we do so, there's a question from Facebook. Let me read it out if I can verbatim. Uh, so for you, really, uh, Manorak, is there any room in reform discussions to address or police this algorithmic manipulation? Uh, isn't the confirmation bias the algorithms uh, drive uh, creating a big wedge between us all and can the social media companies be required to dial it back and stop these practices so a lot of questions there but i think um you you know you've talked about it so uh, does that make sense i can repeat it back to you it's no no it it makes absolute sense i think i I talked about it uh in the in my introductory comments even going back in the context of 230 when these platforms say that they're not publishing data or information they're actually pushing it to you, leveraging that algorithmic means. So our reform not only includes, or at least my proposal for reform, not only includes uh, responsibility about the information that is being curated on these platforms, but also the algorithms that they are then using to drive additional engagement around that curated information. Hmm. So we'll have to look at all aspects of this. And that's where we will have to ensure that they take responsibility of, of all of that, the mm. curated information, as well, the, as well as the algorithms that they are using to push engagement on their platforms. Mm. It has to be end-to-end and all-encompassing. And that's why I've said this a lot of times. This is not something that can happen in an uninformed manner. Now that there is recognition that we have to look at 230, which allows us to then look at how these organizations need to be managed, I'm not using the word regulated. I'm saying managed, right? Uh, Once we understand all of that, and we do now, then we have to take a very holistic view of what aspects of these technologies and platforms need to be managed. And then use that as a means to drive reform, whether that be with 230 or whether that be through antitrust or other means to ensure that the end results allows us to deliver a assured piece of information that is not purposely being uh, antagonistic to drive certain behavior amongst populations. Do you not, uh, just a quick question, that what's the difference in your mind between being regulated and being managed? How would you distinguish the two? Okay, regulations is, you know, heavy reaching rules that are governed by governments, right? Managed is a set of policies that allows platforms to live by those and only where instances where they kind of are falling out of favor on those policies does big brother step in right so we don't want to regulate the internet we don't want to because this is such a huge tool that drives innovation at a level that's unprecedented in in the history of mankind so let's not take that and and kind of put a damper on that by regulating all of that Right? But let's make sure that we come through with very strict and clear policies, but then use the stick rule of in opening up the liability means 
The minute your company becomes liable, you as the CEO of your company will pay attention, right? And that's again goes back to 230. We have to open up and make sure that there's a level of liability to these platforms if they are not standing by the policies that are put forth by by even themselves. Yeah. And I guess the level of thanks for that. I guess the, the liability at some point needs to be unpacked because financial liability to some extent, if it's not punitive enough, uh, actually does not change behaviors. In fact, when you're making billions and billions, if not more, and growing at 30, 40, 50 percent a year or more, in fact, um, it, it actually is, um, uh, you know, a drop, drop, drop in the ocean. Uh, liability, I guess, also means uh, other aspects of um, maybe sanctions to operate in a country. The European Union, in fact, I mean, they've done a lot of things um, oddly, but they've done a few things really well. I think they're ahead of the game when it comes to regulating or studying and trying to understand the implications of data and privacy and including cyber. So uh, we, we hope that that will be continued. So in, in effect, before we move to the next chapter, in effect, what you're saying really is, if I summarize, you're saying as a user at an individual level, uh, given that you, the individual will also be working in your own business, in someone else's business, big, small, whatever the size may be, it is our responsibility to be um, wise, prudent, cautious, and sensible about how we use social media platforms, especially those that we seem to maybe today be using rampantly, where we're sharing information about, you know, the, the, the car that we purchased, the child that we had, and so and so forth. Pretty much, as you put it, someone taking a, a magnifying glass or a binocular, a set of binoculars, constantly watching mm -hmm. uh, with 15 cameras, uh, what's going on in your house um that's that's terrible that thought is terrible if of course if you say that to someone today they'll be like you must be joking and they'll press the delete my account button immediately but i guess that's that is uh, to some extent uh, important to state because that's exactly what's going on and we'll see the ramifications of, the, of that down the line so that i think is going to be the basis upon which we have some sort of an uprising an awakening or an awareness that we must take these tools very seriously and not be clouded in our judgment or masked by the fact that well actually they must have got it and surely this company must be regulated in some way because i guess what you're saying is the legislation that was out there in 1996 is not fit for purpose today and right. requires reform yep. is that yep. fair to say no absolutely absolutely okay. but again going back to your point about you know that the, the 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 damages should be punitive enough that they actually cause these companies to stand up and take responsibility. Otherwise, yeah. like you said, sanctions will happen. You know, you see an extreme example of China; they just shut everything down, right? But in the rest of the free world, I'm telling you now, if reform doesn't happen and there is no, if these platforms don't take more responsibility, it's just a matter of time before countries or unions will step in and start sanctioning them where they won't be able to operate in their economies. Yeah. And that's, that's about to happen. And that's why I think going back to you, you know, your comment about me being unpopular in Silicon Valley, the companies themselves have now stood up and said, yes, we understand 230 is 1996. We are now 20 years later or 24 years, 25 years later. We need to take a look at this environment and see how we can do this right ourselves. So right. all the companies that we've mentioned have now changed their tone because they appreciate the uprising ready to happen, whether at an individual level or at a country level. Yeah. And they don't want to be stuck in an environment like that because once they get there, getting out of that is like quicksand. It'll be very difficult. 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're sure about uh, mavericks and, and nonconformists and outliers and straight talkers, so that's just fine. So uh, you know, we we like to challenge convention. Let's move on to the next part of this. So we've talked a lot about legislation and data and privacy, and I think that's been a really nice summary. Let's let's uh, walk across this bridge now and start to talk about something that is uh, even more. Uh, worrying, which is the, you know, um, the, the issue of cyber. Cyber at a personal level, cyber at a business enterprise level. Uh, now, if I touch on the enterprise, of course, we're both familiar with this. Uh, the There has been so much, uh, there's been so much um, news, media coverage, announcements, and a massive change in direction and priorities at a CEO level in the largest enterprises in the world. Those who've woken up to it in the last 16 months have realized that the importance of cybersecurity, it shouldn't be five or six or seven in the business priorities for a CEO. It should be one or maybe two or three, and it's moving there. All evidence suggests that. And one important part is the role of the chief information security officer or anyone who has that sort of a title who is now being propelled, catapulted into the board level conversations. In fact, steering committee after steering committee after governance committee is now being built, surprisingly never happened before, where the chief information security officers at the helm saying, hey, hang on a second, using your word, policies need to be re-examined. We don't want to stifle and suffocate people, but we need to take this really seriously because of course we are a regulated often company on the stock market and we have to take care of our people, our customers, ourselves, our future, and we have a social ethical responsibility to the planet, right? And all of that sort of good stuff. Then there is the individual that you've touched on already, I think. Um, but I'd like to now uh, get your viewpoint on uh, this whole, whole area of communication. And today we're on this, aren't we? We're on this video communication channel and we're hoping it's secure, fingers crossed. And, uh, uh, you know, and we, we believe- If you were using Netsphere, I would have told you it is absolutely <laughs> secure. Well, maybe we'll try, we'll move to that. We'll move to that. That's going to be our progression and our evolution. We'll take you up on that challenge. You can help us along the way. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the a future today. Where are we now and where are we going perhaps how we're going to get there as well. So where are we now with the, the area of communication? You can, albeit messaging, but also broader. Where are we heading and uh, how are we actually going to get there? Um, so big, broad questions, but we'll, we'll talk around it. And I'm sure questions will come in. Quick, quick one for the audience. If you have questions, throw them in now. Uh, we'll sort of juggle back and forth based on relevancy on Facebook or YouTube, or in fact, Zoom, if you're on Zoom as well. So over to you, Anurag. Right, so I think we need to go back three to four years because three to four years digitization of the enterprise was well on its way. Right. And, and, you know, and then along comes the pandemic about a year and a half ago, which actually played a catalyst role in driving and accelerating digitization. All of us went online. All of us started leveraging these tools. Some companies did a better job than others of deploying these technologies. Some companies just picked whatever they could. Mm -hmm. and wanted to make sure that they could continue to remain productive in these environments that we were faced. This was unprecedented too, right? And that acceleration has cost, I think, everybody because it created confusion. It created uh, use of tools that were not ready for Main Street or mainstream use. And it also opened up multiple different channels of, that could be compromised. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at the start, you said that sometimes in the context of cybersecurity, it's a very simple uh, mistake made by an end user 
or an employee of, a, of an enterprise who unconsciously and innocently clicks on a phishing email and mm -hmm. and, and and they have become they have become so sophisticated it's sometimes so difficult to tell the difference between an email that came from say apple or paypal or facebook then yeah. coming from the leg legitimate source right it's, it's so, worrying it's worrying absolutely because this is a profitable business for cyber criminals and also a profitable business for countries now who are leveraging cyber technology as a means to wage warfare. So we are now all digital. Okay, we are not going back. We are all connected. We are not going back. Even post-pandemic, we'll continue to use these same tools. Now the question is, are you actually using the right tools to ensure that your enterprise or your environment is being safeguarded? Or are you putting everything out there in the open without being aware of the fact you're compromising yourself and your enterprise value. A single cybersecurity breach, AF, and I'm sure you know this, you've been in the industry long enough, costs an enterprise millions, mm -hmm. if not billions, mm -hmm. right? And so that's why we have to make sure enterprises are approaching their employee environment in a holistic manner, mm -hmm. looking at all aspects of what an employee has to do and then providing them the tools they need to be productive. And then I'll give you context of, of how we fit into this because we have started seeing, and we saw this some time ago, that Gen Zs and Gen Xs had already voted by their user trends of their kind of favorite application. Right. And, and that was mobile messaging. In fact, Pew Research did some very detailed studies and just about a couple of years ago and mobile messaging was the most popular uh, smartphone application amongst everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So now all of these folks have now come into the enterprise. You need to be able to give them the right tools so that they can continue to be productive. We actually, we did a study that showed that productivity increases 15 to 20% if you leverage tools like NetSphere. Okay, mm -hmm. so if you don't give them the right tools to do this in a secure, controllable manner within the enterprise, nature finds a way. They'll go find something out there that they like and they'll bring it into the enterprise. Mm -hmm. That's what the UK prime minister did by leveraging WhatsApp. That's mm -hmm. where we've seen across the board very well-to-do and well-known executives leveraging WhatsApp. And by doing that, they're essentially putting the enterprise in harm's way. We come in. And we solve that WhatsApp dilemma for them mm -hmm. with, with NetSphere, which is an what, entirely end-to-end -end encrypted call platform. It the WhatsApp dilemma. Yeah, we, we call it the WhatsApp dilemma because it's real. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we saw it, you know, the BBC reported it yesterday. It's even at the, at the prime minister level, mm -hmm. right? And it's a real challenge. And, and so we have a solution that allows you to do the same thing, get all the benefits of security without compromising your intellectual property, without compromising productivity, gives the gens X and Zs what they need that they're so familiar with and, and allows it to be done in an extremely controllable manner within the enterprise. So yes. that's, I think that's the context that we fit into in at least in this post-pandemic digital environment. Mm. So talk, talk us a little bit more through human behavior because, you know, uh, 
playing devil's advocate, there are a lot of solutions out there doing a lot of good things and in, in so many different fields. We all know that, of course, and we're all, uh, you know, victims of or be beneficiaries of software. You know, we keep clicking buy, 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 buy. And we, you know, just yesterday I bought four things on software, some sort of a subscription service and we all do it. Right. So, you know, that we're, we're familiar <laughs> with it. Do we really do our due diligence or do we just click the, I agree to your terms and conditions box. I think most of us just sort of click it. Who's going to read, you know, uh, 5,000 pages of terms that are in font like minus 10. So we get that. And I think we have almost, uh, we've, <laughs> we've almost sold ourselves cheaply into uh, the, the enterprises that sell us that, you know, again, I'm giving you another view, but let's go into, um, let's go into this whole issue of, uh, you talked about Pew Research, you talked about Gen X, Gen, Gen Z and all so on and so forth. So, these these individuals are using messaging. I, the the way I connect with that, as soon as you said research did it, I actually went. I have an imaginative mind. Many of us do. I went straight into Hollywood and um, you know mainstream media movies. And when you see movies, you see people now they're using imagery, so people are talking to each other, and you mm -hmm. see the the message mm -hmm. trail coming up. It's pretty much standard now. Mm -hmm. You don't see the audio trail yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe well in the future. You don't see the VR trail, uh, but you see the messaging trail. So totally, totally get that. And I totally believe you that uh, messaging is number is number one. Now that user goes into a big job in a company. Let's make it up, right? Um, a graduate from a great university or any university graduates, gets a job in a company, an enterprise that's listed. That graduate has WhatsApp on his device or her device. They go into this company and they make a few friends. They go out for a few beers and so on and so forth and have a team. Uh, now they have other tools and I'm not going to incriminate any tool here, but they're good tools out there. They have this thing that we're using. They've got other tools that of course are mainstream that we buy and the chief information officer of the company has just spent millions of dollars purchasing that tool. So of course he or she would want you to use that tool that's been mandated. Uh, but human behavior doesn't work that way. It doesn't, logic is not infinite, it's finite. And that's the problem. So you have to go to the deeper levels of psychology. So my behavior is not based on, well, you think I should use it. I will revert to what I believe is convenient. My mates are on it, my buddies are on it. And I'll say, do you know what, Anurag, you're part of my team. I'm just gonna quickly set up a WhatsApp group and we'll chat about work. Oh, I hate my manager. Oh, I love my manager. Oh, you know that document? you, we worked on, just send it over here. Um, just, you know, so much quicker. I'm making this stuff up, but I think it's real, isn't it? Uh, because these are the behaviors that we're trying to control. Now, tell us what, what's, what's so wrong about this? What's the problem? What, why can't I do that? But, you know, everything you said is exactly what's going on. And, and that's, that's the, the wrong part is when you actually leverage and take those tools within the enterprise, uh, you're actually compromising the enterprise and opening up a can of worms that is so difficult for you to kind of pull yourself out. To. Going back to what you said that uh, the IT guy had spent all this time, you know, procuring tools. Nobody asks the end user, what do they want? Human behavior is like water flowing downstream, right? It finds the least path of resistance as it flows downstream, right? And mm -hmm. so don't put those rocks in place thinking that you'll be able to block the issue. Mm -hmm. Give them tools that they're familiar with so that they can leverage those tools as a means to be productive mm -hmm. and move forward. And the reason they love mobile messaging is, you know, a mobile message is responded to at an average within 15 minutes of it being received or less. Yeah. Okay. Plus Gen Z's and Gen Xers they like to have brief conversations. 
They don't pick up the phone and call, right? They just send a message, hmm. right? Now, if you look at those two things, brief message, responded to in 15 minutes, they love it. Now, bring that into the enterprise, brief message, responded to in 15 minutes, email sometimes takes days, right. is directly connected to productivity, right? So then, for the love of God, give them what they need, right? Mm -hmm. Don't give them this huge tool that is so, you know, cumbersome that they find it a nightmare to navigate through. Guess what? They're not going to use it. So mm -hmm. nature will find a way and they'll go bring their most favorite tool in. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem we foresaw four years ago when we started Netsphere. We knew this was going to be an issue. And today, our product is kind of propagating itself across the enterprise because it solves a real problem and it solves it now. For those of us who don't fully comprehend what you meant by using a, uh, a tool, like I'm back in my job, I'm the graduate back in my job, and I've got you on the group with three, four other people. We're having healthy, normal conversations, right? We're not leaking any information at this point. How can I be the culprit? Well, what, did, what do I need to do to compromise my enterprise using a non-secure tool? You're actually not the cul culprit. I, I would blame the enterprise for not securing their own environment. You're, you're, you're operating in good faith and you're trying to do your job, right? It's like mm -hmm. you, go into, you go into work and they forgot to give you pens. You'll bring your own pen, mm -hmm. right? You go into work, they forgot to give you water, you'll bring your own water, right? So if you go into work and they forget to give you these tools that you're supposed to work with, that will keep the enterprise secure and will ensure that you don't compromise it, You'll use them as long as they have a frictionless means of delivering the same user experience that you're used to, you like, and you're familiar with. Right. Right. Those are aspects of, 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 uh, of evaluation that people sometimes forget. Yeah. Enterprises spend too much time on saying, okay, how much is going to this cost me? And does this do this, that, and the other? And the list is huge. Yeah. Those days are gone. Yeah. So I think you have to have specific tools for specific problems. That's what we you know, believe in and we believe strongly in. Mm, got it. So now let's go one step further and let's talk about the future. So today we're all into messaging and that's great. And I think there, there are loads of powerful solutions that one must consider looking at for all the reasons you've stated. If you, if you take your uh, brain and you sort of extrapolate it out, you know, you time travel, Okay, and through a Stargate portal or whatever it is that that helps you get there, you've time traveled five to seven years, maybe more, whatever time period. What's going on now in that world? What is going on? How are people talking to each other? How are they communicating? Um, talk us through as an expert in this domain what you see going on in the future. Yeah. yeah so, so we spend a lot of time, you know, looking at the next big thing. We are constantly saying, how do we raise the bar? How do we change the game? And my mm -hmm. team spends hours, and and I'm never satisfied. And I always keep pushing them and I keep pushing myself. But one thing I'm very clear about, I believe sincerely that messaging and the messaging surround because of its popularity, because of the advantages it provides the, the you know, people communicating, leveraging it. I think messaging as a platform will be the next operating system that's going to be leveraged by end users globally, both enterprise and consumer. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is because this application is so popular and it does the job so well, people will want to live within it. 
and will expect it to deliver all aspects of their uh, interaction with either a device or with an uh, enterprise. Mm -hmm. And to that regard, we are deploying a range of different um, um, you know, technologies to ensure that we continue to deliver that holistic experience to our end users that leverage NetSphere uh, within the enterprise. We are today using um, AI-based based algorithms to drive intelligent conversations yeah. within NetSphere. And yeah. this is an engine that we developed ourselves that has now been deployed. We are also leveraging AR and VR as a means of increasing the engagement and, and also driving additional use cases within the messaging surround. We are also using um, uh, blockchain as a means of driving assurance across multiple uh, enterprise applications that then come back and get delivered to the enterprise within NetSphere. So messaging, I think, is going to be the next mobile operating system, and people will want to live within it. And we are focused viscerally on making sure that that experience, once they're within NetSphere, is that much more productive for them. And so that's why these incremental technologies, I think, will be the way we will be doing business down the road. And, and some people will find it difficult to fan them, but I'm telling you, all of this is going to be mainstream within a messaging surround. Mm. Uh, tell me a little bit about audio. So if you think about spatial audio, virtual audio in the future, like the minority report syndrome, where I'm walking around and I've got these little devices at the back. Do you, do you not see audio being a fundamental part of the uh, evolution as opposed to type form typing? Um, we'll all probably have RSI by the time we're done in the 15 years time. But what about audio, audio to text, audio, in fact, just audio exchanges? Uh, do you see that, you know, look at Clubhouse recently and look at all the uh, sort of follow on copycat innovations that the other companies are now responding to? Um, and I don't know what's going to happen to Clubhouse. So talk us through where you see audio going, audio based communications. Yeah, I think audio is extremely important. Video is extremely important. And, and we provide that within our messaging surround because we realize that for certain applications, you'll need audio, right? Um, text to audio, audio to text, all of that is uh, aspects we support. In fact, we've been able to build in um, through partnership with companies like Nuance, very yeah. specific audio capabilities directly focused towards the healthcare industry where there are nuances of what you say and how you say, because there's medical terminology, which right. is not natural to most platforms. And, and physicians, as they're walking up and down hospitals, want to be able to dictate and talk and transcribe constantly. And so we support that. So we believe audio, again, within a messaging surround, so that this context within the conversation is going to be very, very important too. Video mm -hmm. too, again, within the messaging surround, and again, contextual. As long as it's contextual, so people know exactly what's happening, that productivity gain we saw will continue to stay. And mm -hmm. so we want to make sure it's uncluttered, cluttered, frictionless, but it's full featured. And I think audio fits in really well. Mm. One final point, and uh, there, well, there's one more, one or two more questions. Wouldn't you say? Uh, wouldn't you say uh, to someone who is a purchaser of this um, that? You know, from their standpoint, they, they're constantly striving towards consolidation of solutions because in the cyber world, there is a big trend right now where you do vendor cons consolidation, but far too many cyber related tools, technologies, pretty much doing the same thing. So a lot of duplication. Wouldn't you say this is just yet another solution someone has to buy as opposed to um, a, a sort of unified way of looking at your estate? Um, and how would you deal with that objection? 
Yeah, so I think this is not just another tool. This is a must-buy tool. Because going back to your issue up front, it's innocent you know, actions by end users that cause cyber breaches. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are ready to lose millions of dollars for each breach, then go ahead and you know, continue down that path. Mm-hmm. But if you are conscious that you have a hole within your enterprise, which is driven by the WhatsApp dilemma, then this is a must have to. So now with regards to consolidation, our whole strategy and vision is to make sure that this messaging operating system presented through NetSphere to the end user is all encompassing. So we'll, you know, we are headed down that path in any case, but you know, you have to solve the first problem, which Mm -hmm. is closing the hole. Mm -hmm. And so if you can't close the hole, I don't care what you put together, it's not going to work. Right. Mm -hmm. So this, I believe, is not a nice to have. It's a have to have, a must have. Mm. Uh, the one technical question, if you can answer it, when you look at a tool like WhatsApp, you know, a lot of people believe it is end-to-end encrypted, right? Because it says end-to-end encryption. So what's the what's what's going on there? Um, because of course the user would say, well, what's the what's the what's the big deal here? I'm already end-to-end encrypted, surely. All right. So let's peel the onion on end-to-end encryption. So yes. let, let me explain to you, how, to you how we do it. We encrypt everything on your device, originating device, and we make sure it's encrypted all the way till the destination device. And then it stays encrypted on those devices too. Now, as this information transverses the network and through the cloud, there are various opportunities for it to get decrypted. Mm-hmm. And we refer to it as decryption at rest. So when the information is transitioning a certain point to get to another point, it could potentially get decrypted. Mm-hmm. So it, you may say it's end-to-end encrypted, but then if you stay silent about it being decrypted at rest so that it can reach its destination, that's potentially an area of vulnerability, right? So WhatsApp, even though they've been asked so many times, has never peeled the onion on how they actually deliver encryption. We talk about it all the time because right. you know we have a very clear mechanism of doing that. Our right. job is to ensure nobody has access to the information with the exception of the originator and the destination, nobody else. And WhatsApp, unfortunately, does not come through and say that entirely clearly, okay? And again, I won't pass aspirations against them with regards to how they decrypt, but uh, I, will, I will question their ability of keeping it encrypted, keeping the information encrypted uh, when the information is at rest. And that's where your problem starts. Got it. Interesting. Very, very good. Very good explanation there. So we have another question here, uh, FB question, I'll just read it off as I, I see it. It seems like so much of the responsibility will fall on each individual to be smart and protect themselves. What is happening in relation to cyber education? Uh, it seems like it should be requi- a required learning in schools upwards. Uh, and I could not agree with you more because today cyber education is one of the leading course, uh, courses available to students, at least here in the United States. It's one of the most popular courses because you know the opportunities, once you do learn about it and come out into the work world, are so great. But I, I cannot agree with you more. As we have now become 100% digital and we are there now, right? We have to be educated. And so our younger population, and you see your kids as they grow up, they will be constantly, constantly connected. So 
you know, it's it's a responsibility of the schooling system, but it's also a responsibility of the parents too. Mm-hmm. We can't shy away from parenting and educating our kids. The same way as we tell them, do not talk to strangers, as the same way as we tell them, don't cross the street till, you know, you've looked both sides. We have to start educate them, educating them of the nuances, the challenges, and the dangers of the cyber world. Mm-hmm. And so it has to start at home. Then we can look at our schools and then we go forward from there. Final question for you before we close off as an entrepreneur and a fellow entrepreneur and a leader and so on and in the technology space. Uh, now, think about it for a moment. Imagine for a second that uh, you could um, turn the clock back to zero in terms of your age. And you, but you, you, can, you stayed strong on and consistent on the experience. You had all of the experience, all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom, all of the failures, all of the successes, everything today intact. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe your brain was even more agile, right? As it was when we were a little bit younger. Um, what would you do now, right now? And you've got a, easily about a hundred years to go. What would you do now in life? I think I'd, I'd continue do, doing what I'm doing now because I, I get so much joy in, in leading what I believe is one of the most talented and innovative teams anywhere. And I, I say this humbly so because the depth of technology talent that we have in our organization is unbelievable. And not only that, it's the passion that exists in really pushing the envelope in building the next big thing okay. is phenomenal. And even though in the pandemic, we've been separated and we've not had a chance to meet, that passion has remained intact. We've not missed a single delivery timeline. We've met our customer commitments. We've managed to make sure our customers remain happy. We've signed more customers than any time before. So I would actually love to continue to do what I'm doing now uh, with, uh, with, without the restrictions of the pandemic, if you may, because that's one aspect uh, which has been challenging, especially from a family perspective. So you're a content man, which is fantastic. Um, I'm, not con- I'm not content. I'm just happy I'm doing what I'm doing now because it gives me immense amount of joy. Content sounds as if you're lazy. I'm not, you know, I keep pushing the envelope and I drive hard. It means I get up every morning, you know, with this excitement in me of, of pushing the envelope and creating something different and new and bigger and better. So content is the wrong word, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted and happy in, in leading the team and doing what I'm doing today. Terrific, terrific. Uh, lovely to have this incredible energy and we've learned so much about all aspects, you know, regulation, policies, how they're outdated, they need to change. We've, hopefully you've inspired, I certainly feel more inspired about taking some action around my behaviors at an individual level, but also at a business level, which we already have, by the way. So we, we, we use the tool that you have and very happy with it. And I think uh, the second part of this is, you know, the future of communication, collaboration, uh, messaging is going to be um, even more profound and prevalent in our lives. It's not going to die down. In fact, we're going to be even more entrenched in it. And therefore we have to be very, very careful about what we put out there, very careful, because the implications are going to be unmanageable, I think, in the future. You know, right now the stress of getting hacked or some some ransomware, some phishing is terrible, but not insurmountable. But I think it's getting worse 
Uh, and again, not going into geopolitics, but we all know what's going on around the world. We're going through a bizarre period uh, right now. So Anurag, what a great pleasure to have you on the show. Hopefully you've enjoyed yourself. Where can people find you personally and professionally? Tell us a little bit about uh, how we reach out to you. Yeah, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm there on LinkedIn, uh, netsphere.com. Come check our website out. You can reach uh, out to me that way as well. And uh, I am pretty uh, busy blogging and uh, writing a lot. I love to do that. So you'll see a lot of that on LinkedIn as well and other channels. Fabulous. Excellent. Anurag, real pleasure having you on the show. Um, we hope to uh, next fear ourselves out at some point and be really secure. We have a whole Mavericks group that uses uh, the tools that you've, you've, you've talked about today. I guess we shouldn't use them. Uh, so we will now uh, move to a, a, a NetSphere tool if we can manage it and uh, honored to have you on the show. So I just want to talk briefly about uh, next week, if I can change my uh, screen. Um, we have a wonderful leader, a wonderful leader. As you know, on straighttalk.life, we have a diverse a set of um, prolific leaders, great minds, influencers, and so on. Uh, next week, we have um, a leader, Harpreet uh, A.D. Singh, the CEO of Alliance Air, uh, which uh, is a national airline in, in India, part of the Indian Airlines Group. And she's the first CEO uh, of a, a group like this, the first uh, CEO who is a, a woman who is driving change at an unprecedented level. A wonderful lady, uh, very, very clear about where she wants to take the airline. We're going to have a, her on the show, given what's happened with the pandemic and how the aviation industry suffered uh, to such great uh, extents. Um, she will she come in and, and, and sort that out for us. Uh, what, it, what uh, you know, she's saying what it really takes to blaze uh, a new trail. So she's again, a maverick, an outlier, nonconformist. Today's been wonderful. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Anurag, thank you again. Be well, take care of yourselves, keep smiling, be very, very cautious. Good night, take care. Thank you. Thank you.